Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, and once again, joined by John Brazier, director of Fun, of, Fun and Games. Um, what did I just call you? The Silver Fox? Silver Fox, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah look, look at Off you over the there. Air. Yeah, that's Chase Utley, though. It's not me. All right, you're Silver Fox Jr. Senior. I'm older than you. Are he could be my son. Isn't that depressing? Oh, no, he depressing. couldn't be my son. I'd be pretty young having Chase. <laughs> yeah. But these guys on our team right now, I could be their dad. Yes. You, would you want your daughter dating Chase Utley? No. You know what? I always say, and no offense to Chase, <laughs> I, always, I always say, I've said this several times, like there are certain, there are certain guys, you know, if I had a daughter that age, the, if, uh, there are certain guys I would trust yes. with my daughter. There's not that many in the, no. in the 25 years I've worked in baseball. Um, Kevin like, Stocker, I, one of our Kevin past Stocker, guests. definitely. Mickey, Mickey. Morandini, I'd, I'd trust. Brad Lidge, I would trust. Um, and then I think I might be done right there. <laughs> that might be done. Right, huh? Maybe Raul Banyas. Ah, uh, Raul. Right? <laughs> Rico Bronya. Re- oh, Rico, definitely. Yep, yeah, Rico yeah. Bronya. Uh, Scott Rowland. Right. So uh, I think that's. I think that. L- Doug Glanville. Doug Glanville is definitely a good one too. Yeah. It might end right there. <laughs> Ninety-three team. Yeah, because with nobody Chase, except I know, for Mickey oh, and Kevin. Ninety-three. Yeah, because uh, with Chase, it's funny. Like his. His reputation was he was a dirt ball. Like guys, oh, Chase Utley's a dirt ball. I don't know if fans really saw him that way as a dirt ball. You know what I mean? But he was. He was a dirt ball. Yeah. Well, he's a gym rat. He's he's. Yeah. You know. Now, I'm not saying dirt ball in that he was. You know this right. ogre. You no, know it yeah, was more just like blue, you know blue collar gritty. He, yeah. 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 Gritty. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of gritty, uh, how's that for a segue? It's no segue at all. I was just going to say that last <laughs> night. You just wanted to say speaking of Grady. <laughs> uh, we had our first Jimmy Buffett uh, night last night. It was one of our theme nights. It, you got to go on, if, uh, for our listeners, go on phillies.com forward slash theme nights because there's really some great stuff. You can get great deals on tickets, great giveaways. Last night was our first Jimmy Buffett night, and the Fanatic decided to bring a shark onto the dugout to dance to the song Thins. Which you do down in spring, or which the fanatic does down in spring training. Yeah, with Finley on Sundays. Yep. So uh, yeah, some we rented a costume and some guy put this shark costume on, and uh, the fans went wild, John. And the fanatic is jammed with Jimmy Buffett for yeah. on the stage right here yeah. at the ballpark. Right? The fanatic has actually led forty thousand people in fins. So we did a little mini version of that last night, but it was a lot of fun. It was cool to finally have a our Margaritaville night. We were it was a couple of years in the making that Jimmy Buffett night. Makes up for the Grateful Dead night we are not having this year, but exactly. we're going to have it next year. I'm, we are going to both uh, ensure that. And if I'm giving one plug out, there's one coming up uh, September 14th when we play the Marlins. It's Halloween night, and what's cool about that is we're going to actually be giving out Philly Fanatic Halloween masks to the people who buy their tickets through the theme night page. So uh, it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be a fun awesome. night. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yep. What you, uh, we haven't been around for over a week, John. What uh, Have you been up to anything? Or yes. Have you been I working? D- I did something very, very cool. Um, not working. Not working, of course. <laughs> uh, well, I kind of technically was working. So, uh, we no, all, you weren't. We, we played in Washington, D.C., as you know, last week. Um, and a friend of mine, I think you know this, I've told you this, that a friend of mine uh, is a senior director um, on the National Security Council. Right. So uh, we don't do politics on the show. So this is non-political at all. She works on the National Security Council. She's working on the Middle East peace process. So big Phillies fan. She invited me. She said at some point, hey, if you ever want to do a tour of the White House, well, who doesn't want to do a tour of the White House? And again, no matter who's in office. And it's like touring the Buckingham Palace or wherever you want to go. So um, if you have if you know somebody that works, you know, in the White House or in the Eisenhower building, then they can do a private tour at night. So I took advantage of the fact that the the uh, Phillies were playing the Nationals. Went down there. It was I took my wife and daughter. It was awesome. It was, we got to get, go into the West Wing, which is not open to normal tours, and peek in and learn about the history of the desks being used and what furniture was brought here and there in China. Right when you come into the entrance and went to the media room, took pictures uh, as if I was uh, the you know the um, communications director. So it was. Uh, It was pretty awesome. awesome. It was great. It's great. I I remember uh, my wife and family, we did it. uh, It was just right at, uh, just as Bush uh, W. was leaving and Obama was getting ready to come in. And we got a similar tour of the West Wing and also uh, the Eisenhower building, which was fascinating. Very cool, yeah. Yeah, really fascinating. The history there. And just even just D.C. I lived in D.C. Mm. for three years, so I know it pretty well. But my daughter, who's 10, had never been down in D.C. So it was cool. You you forget that all these Smithsonian museums are free. Mm. So you can just basically go down the mall and just pop into different museums, you know, whether it's uh, Air and Space Museum, there's just, you know, the National Gallery of Art. 
Uh, there's a lot of great things, and then obviously you have the monuments. It's just and one of the coolest things. If I'm going to recommend anything to somebody who goes down to D.C. Because uh, I, I love spy novels. The Spy Museum is the— You did do that. Oh, I knew you were the, talking. If you were going to do it. I didn't know if you had gone there. I mean, Charlotte started getting a little bored. You know, for yeah, a 10-year-old— yeah. But you, you were into it. I, I could have stayed there for, for <laughs> hours. Uh, you know, the only other museum that, that tops that one is we went down to Churchill's Bunker in, in London. And I could have stayed for 10 hours in there. Wow, cool. um, But it was— um, What are they? Do they— uh, like a simulation of the bunker, they kind no, of it's, it's it actually or? his. It's the bunker. It's where you saw oh. where he slept and where they had the war room, and the the map is still up there. Hmm. And um, and but but then they have like more of the interactive where you can kind of touch screens and okay. and just learn all about uh, everything. But it was just so cool. And if you saw the movie The Darkest Hour, a lot of that was set you know set in there. And we just we learned a lot of history about you know just even that, that he woke up that he didn't get out of bed until eleven o'clock and he'd have a cigar and mm-hmm. and uh, they showed that Johnny, in the movie. And oh, Johnny yeah. Walker and uh-huh. uh, yeah, it was what a so character. It was pretty awesome. So then, also last part of the DC trip is that my daughter, who's been to many, many, many baseball games, she's starting to take interest. She's starting to become a true Philadelphia fan. She's starting to really take interest in the game. And before she'd kind of watch it in passing, she knew some of the guys' names, but wouldn't really have a vested interest in it. And uh, when when Ryan Zimmerman hit that home run. Uh, my poor daughter cried, mm. and I, I had to. I, I literally consoled her all the way. Like on the, we took the metro back to um, the hotel, and it it was literally it was almost like the first rite of passage that she's officially now she's uh, really a Philadelphia fan. Yeah, yeah. and your daughter, because <laughs> you were crying too, weren't you after uh, the Zimmerman well, home run? I, I had to, I couldn't cry because <laughs> I had to teach my daughter a lesson. But if my daughter wasn't there, I might have <laughs> I might have been crying. And for a University of Virginia guy to do that to me, that's horrible, Tom. Oh, he's a UVA Ryan guy. Guy, huh? yeah. uh, they, got th- they got three guys from UVA on that team. I remember the first time I cried at a sporting event. It was the 76-77 Sixers. Uh, Sixers lose to Portland. George McGinnis phew, had the worst final series ever. And uh, I cried, John. I was about uh, 11 years old, and I cried like a baby. At least there's old. crying in basketball. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Charlotte can definitely cry. And, but it was it's just it's, yeah. it breaks your heart when yeah, you see Yeah, that's something. When Boy, she that. took it seriously. Right. And my dad used to always say there's 50 billion people in this world that don't care about baseball and whatever. <laughs> I don't know, 50 billion, whatever. He's used <laughs> 1 billion. Well, while you were uh, – that that wasn't work-related, John. I mean, what do you mean you were working? You had a nice uh, tour of the White House that has nothing to do with work. That is exactly right. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was working. I was with the Fanatic in Williamsport. We had the great Williamsport uh, it looked awesome Little on TV, League by Challenge. Way. You know what? It is a made-for-TV event. Um, <laughs> and I'll give you a little story about that. You know, uh, we got up there with the Fanatic. Uh, we're waiting for the – plane to land on Sunday morning. It was a little late, uh, but they put um, they had all the little leaguers waiting on a bus, and um, they brought the, 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 the bus out to the airplane. All the little leaguers get off, and you probably saw it on TV. Yep. They're waiting for the players to come off the plane. Well, I met Tim Kirchin from ESPN uh, just before the plane uh, landed, and he said, yeah, you know, uh, make sure you have the Fanatic on the bus, and it's going to be the kids and the players, and they're going to interact with the, the kids. The players are going to interact with the kids. And he says, it's going to be very organic. Uh, they're not even going to know we're here. Well, John, <laughs> the yeah. players come off <laughs> right. uh, the plane. They get on the bus, and it, it, it was wall-to-wall people. You know, all the, the players and the, the Little League players are sitting down. The Fanatics on the bus. We have some of our staff on the bus. And then there were probably about eight cameras <laughs> standing in the so aisle. So it wasn't that Tim, organic. Tim Kirchin's doing a live remote, a live shot right. to ESPN from the bus as we're heading to the Little League cl- complex. And But you know what? The kids did, I think, block out the cameras, you know. Um, and our players, of course, were great with them. Uh, they were getting them to do dances on the bus you know there wasn't a lot of room but uh they were having great conversations well, Reese with was them. hanging out with big al right reese hung out with big al and uh our players just really seemed to enjoy the whole experience at the little league complex because we were over there till about two o'clock in the afternoon and then the players had to go over to our minor league uh, ballpark uh and get ready for the game you know it was a real game obviously on sunday night but they didn't want to leave the complex they were having so much fun it was really really cool and then at the game itself johnny saw it on tv you know, they had 
15 ESPN had 15 cameras in a stadium that only holds 2,500 people. Um, you know, it was all just kids and their families. They didn't sell tickets. It was just kids and their families who were in attendance. And, uh, yeah, to see it, I, I DVR'd the game, so when I came home, I watched it. It just looked so great on TV, but it was a really cool experience, something uh, I don't know if I'll ever forget. Very cool. Looked great on TV, so uh, it was fun to see the Fanatic and see all the – and it's, it was cool to see, too, then that game, as you know, Todd Frazier, Michael Conforto, and Scott King all played in the Little yeah. League World Series at one point, so it was cool to see. Yeah, they were showing clips, clips of, of that. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was awesome. It was great for baseball. Great for the Phillies other than the game itself. Great for the matches. It was just a win-win for everybody. I realized that uh, the, we try to come up with a song that the kids might know, you know, um, because Mr. Met and the Fanatic were going to have a little dance contest. Uh, the Fanatic wanted to dance to Philadelphia Freedom, which, of course, these little like, kids, oh, God, yeah, they don't no know. Idea. Yeah, but we had 16 kids right. out on the field and right. a boom box. Okay? You so can't even do get jiggy with it because they wouldn't know. They wouldn't even know that. So right. we put the boom box on. The Fanatic turns on, and they don't even know what a boom box is. You right. know, the Fanatic brings out this big radio he turns on imagine dragons filled up now philadelphia freedom elton john and mr met comes over and he switches the channel to new york new york and the kids you know so then we had one of the kids come over he turned on the radio and we were trying to think what what is a song that they might like um you know is it going to be some jock jam espn like old you know song that these kids still don't even know so they put on a drake drake what, what Kiki, um, do you love me? And uh, yeah, I never knew it. Well, there's an actual dance that goes with it that these kids dance. Rob Brooks, do you know this one? He's shaking Kiki. his head looking at us like, look, I just went to an ELO concert on Friday. You think I know anything <laughs> by Drake? Do you know that song, Rob Brooks? Everybody knows that song. Well, yeah. <laughs> they're they're literally, John, they're literally 700, like, million hits on YouTube. This song just came out, it's kind of it's new. It came out in 2018, but there's a video. If you go on an Instagram, there are literally millions of Instagrams of people doing this special dance. You're supposed to jump out of a car and do this crazy dance. So I had never heard of it. The Fanatic had never heard of it, but the kids all did the dance. <laughs> Way to make us look so unhip right there with that story, right? I know. I was going to have him do the alley cat, you know, but uh, <laughs> the bunny hop. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, right. so it was a great night, and uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, you saw it on TV. It was pretty speaking neat. on hip, who do we have coming up? The most unhip person we've ever had in the booth, uh, Mike Buckholder, our director of what is it field operations he's our head groundskeeper john and uh it's going to be a great guest because again he's one of our guests who uh you're going to find out a little bit goes on behind the scenes uh that beautiful green field that we're looking at john doesn't happen by accident so uh mike's a big big part of that so uh, why don't we take a little break and when we come back we'll have mike buckholder with us Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Franks Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new right in The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info, visit phillies.com. We are back, Phillies backstage, and Mike Buckholder, the director of field operations. I had a look in the media guide for that, Mike. Um, director of field operations. I thought or you were also just... known as the anti-director of fun and games. <laughs> yeah, the anti-director of fun and games. <laughs> I'm Mike the Buckholder. polar opposite, and my job is the polar opposite of John Brazier. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Well, when you go to a party and somebody says, "What do you, you know? What's your job? To, what do you do for a living? What do you say?" I cut grass. Cut grass. That's yeah, what it's I'm. A lot, lot less uh, explanation required that way. <laughs> Carl Spackler. I mean, you know, depending on who it is, I'm I'm in landscaping. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> landscaping engineer. Just landscaping, Brace. Let's okay. not make this too hard. You know. All right. Well, because why do you say that? Are you embarrassed to say that you're a groundskeeper for the Philadelphia Phillies? No, sometimes it's just easier to tell them you're in landscaping and move on with life. Exactly (laughs) right. You don't have to answer every question. Have you ever been asked to get rid of the gophers? (laughs) 
<laughs> Only by you. Uh, excuse me for asking, Sandy, but if we kill all the golfers, they're going to lock me up and throw away the key. I'm going to golf. Is that your favorite movie of all time, by it's, the way? It's top three. Top three, I mean, you, nice. You, you can't be in this business without loving Caddyshack. I have the animatronic version of the gopher in my office. Unfortunately, when my daughter was very young, she pressed the button on him so many times he no longer dances and sings I'm All Right, but he's still there. That's yeah, kind of like my Harry Cow style. The talking Harry doesn't doesn't talk anymore. <laughs> have, we, have you ever had a gopher problem here at Citizen Bank Park? No gophers. <laughs> no <None>. gophers. <laughs> None, Tom. Feral cats. <laughs> well, <laughs> not many. No, they were at the vet. Remember that? Oh, my gosh. All the cats that used to hang out at the vet. Well, the last furry animal we had to deal with around here was a squirrel back in, what, 09, 08, <laughs> something like that? Other than the fanatic, of course. Yeah, that's well, an animal. We don't want to talk about Well, him. you know what? I mean, we kid. Mike, we kid. We joke. But the fact is there are only 30 big league jobs, the kind of job that you have. So you must have done something right, or you have pictures of somebody, uh, <laughs> you know, to help you get this job. But but it really is an accomplishment. Good for you, man. I remind my wife frequently that there's a fewer of us than there are rocket scientists in the world. So, <laughs> Well, it's, very, it's fascinating. Actually, 30 big league uh, jobs. There are actually 256 minor league clubs. So it's really not that big of a deal, Mike, that you well, made it into professional and baseball. Th <laughs> thanks for watering and, down the pool, yeah. And there's, uh, there's less great. director of fun and games and nuclear physicists, <laughs> that's too. That's true, too. So Brage has that going for him. <laughs> yeah, got that going great. for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I know it's it's fascinating, and we're going we're gonna to delve way back to, the, to get into the time machine, the way, the way back machine here, Mike. Were you the kid in the neighborhood who had his own lawnmower and would go to like the neighbors and had your own little lawn mowing uh business going yeah yeah actually. you were that kid yeah no i well you know when i was growing up didn't everybody go mow the neighbor's lawn it's I mean, true but how many how many uh, at, at the height of when you were 12 years old 13 14 whatever you were how many uh, lawns do you think you were doing maybe like three I mean, oh, okay lot. that's not too and bad and I, I bet you didn't have younger brothers no no I see don't. one that's older a brother. key I've got two older brothers, so I always had to cut the lawns. I didn't have anybody that I could then pass on the torch to a younger brother doing it. There it is. So it was right? always your job. If you're the youngest when you're or, the, youngest. or the only, then you're cutting the lawn. Yep. Yep. Well, did you make some money doing it, Mike? Sure. Yeah, you make now, a little, did you know when you were – now, it wasn't a rider mower. You were pushing did it, mm -hmm. you know, pushing that mower. Did you think one day that you would be doing this for a living at – the major league baseball level. Not at that age, no. No, no. no. Well, where did you uh, where did you grow up? It's not around here, right? Nope. I'm uh, from central Washington, right around uh, Yakima. I grew up outside of Yakima, a town okay. called Toppenish, Washington. Okay. And we're the capital of the Yakima Indian Reservation, actually. Is that right? Mm -hmm. How about that? Little known fact. Yeah. Little Cliff go. Clavin fact there. And then uh, you went to uh, what college? Went to central Washington University in Ellensburg. And, uh, and what did you study there? I have a degree in administrative office management. How about that? All right, really? so now this is the story. Now, how did you get from that degree to what you do now? I actually went to Central and was working on a, a minor in athletic training. That was kind of the game plan. I worked as an athletic trainer when I was in high school, played baseball. But it wasn't it didn't really enjoy football too much, but all my buddies played. And basketball, I'm you know, 5'9". That's not my sport. I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a basketball. So to keep myself kind of busy until baseball season came along. I always worked as the manager and slash kind of athletic trainer. Did that all through high school. And, and uh, so I decided I kind of enjoyed that. And I, I looked to go to college and, and knew the guy that was the head trainer up at Central at the time, uh, Gary Smith, and had gone to a couple summer uh, athletic training camps up there. And Gary got me into the program. And at the time, you know, you could, you could get a minor in athletic training and that would qualify you to take the NATA exam. It's not like it is today. I mean, you got to have a master's degree now yeah, to even yep. take the doctorate program. Yeah, sure, it's, it's crazy. So, um, you had 600 clinical hours. I think you had to do in the training room it was a real hands-on kind of deal. And and I was doing that and decided about my going into my senior year. Uh, kind of started looking at the job market there and didn't really like what I saw at the time. And and you know everybody, including Gary, actually kept telling everybody, he's like, well, if you don't get an education degree. You know, the job market's really limited for you unless you can teach school and you want to work in a high school environment or something like that. And my dad and mom were both school teachers, and my, my dad was still teaching when I was in college. And, and uh, it's a tr true story. The last thing he told me is, <laughs> I'll give you a bit of advice before you go off to college. Just, What's that day? He goes, whatever you do, don't become a school teacher. <laughs> he, goes, it's, he goes, you know, it's not a bad job, he said, but he, there's other things you could probably do you'd enjoy more. So, um, yeah, God bless people who are school teachers. That's a... Uh, 
that's a profession to be in there that uh, you, you got to kind of have a certain certain mentality about it. And, and, uh, and I'm not so sure we want you affecting the uh, youth of today. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. <laughs> so, you know, and so I, it's, it, and it honestly, that's kind of the job that you really have to have a passion for. Yeah, yeah. And I never had that. And so, you know, good advice on my father's part, probably. Um, it's about my senior year of college. I, I'd been working for our minor league team. We had a, we had a minor league team in Yakima, Washington. We were a, a short season Northwest league Dodgers affiliate in the uh, Northwest league there. And I'd, I'd worked up there on, you know, in various different jobs since I was in high school, since I was a sophomore in high school, about the time they actually moved the team there from uh, wherever they moved them there from. Um, my freshman year in college, they built a new ballpark out at the state fairgrounds there. And, uh, Ended up getting back on the crew in kind of a roundabout way. And uh, my sophomore year, my GM, Bob Romero, called me. <laughs> Bob's like, um, I just want to let you know that uh, we made a change this morning and uh, you've been promoted to head groundskeeper. Wow, just like that, I'm huh? Like, oh, that's great, Bob. I got finals this week. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll come up to see you when I get a chance. <laughs> so, um, was actually working on finals that spring in May and taking over the, the stadium there and and I did that. I was the head guy there in, in Yakima for three years. And that's while a I was short season minor league yeah. team. So how was the quality of that field? Like, was it a kind of a little rough, or uh, was it pretty uh, pretty nice field? It, it was okay. We were one of the newer fields in the league at the time. I mean, although the, the playing surface wasn't probably uh, designed and installed the greatest. I mean, especially compared to what we do now. Mm. But uh, it wasn't bad. It, it took a lot of took a lot of hands-on to, mm. to keep it the way you needed because our irrigation wasn't all that great we had a, actually had some uh, we were located at the end of yakima meadows which was the horse track there in town at the time and they actually removed the training chute to build the ballpark and part of a parking lot and they, they didn't get all the asphalt out mm. so there were still areas under the field that when you go down six or seven inches that you were hitting asphalt yeah so <laughs> you'd have these spots in the outfield that would just show up as soon as it got hot and Central Washington, we're actually on the dry side of the mountains. We're on the eastern side of, of the Cascades. And, uh, you know, most people don't realize the eastern side of the Cascade Mountains of Washington State is very dry. It's not like Seattle. we got nine inches or less of rainfall a year there. Mm. Uh, it's a high-altitude desert. So we'd hit 100, 105 during the day. You'd usually cool off into the 60s or even the high 50s at night. Um, but it, it was very dry, no humidity. Mm. Uh, you know, 8%, 10% is a, is a bad day for you there most of the time. Um, so you get these areas in the outfield that would just, you know, by noon, one o'clock would go from looking fine to being scorched because there was there was no soil underneath there. So, you know, I, I remember I had two uh, two hoses. They ran out of each dugout because we had just a good old, you know, three quarter inch or five eighths inch hose bib, uh, bib there like you'd have in your house. And, and we'd run these like 250 feet of hose out into the outfield with just a you know a bubble sprinkler and <laughs> right. we'd we'd mow in the morning and then you'd you'd chase hot spots yeah, with the sprinkler and a little bit and, of a, and were you learning on the job like were you like learning about sod and about you know the the, the real intricacies of that or were you just kind of just doing your job not seeing it that that it was going to be where you are today no no we uh you know you you did learn on the job you talked to a lot of people that you kind of met uh, you know, as you're doing your thing, I had a very good f friend of mine still to this day. Don Hunfeld was my local uh, rep at the time for United Hort Supply. Um, Don's super good guy. I had a degree in soil science from Washington State University and still talk to Don several times a month now. And, you know, he, he really got to be good friends with me and took a lot of time, worked with me on soils and understand it. Because I, I tell you what, guys, I've never taken a, a turf grass class a day in my life. How about it? So, you know, really depending on people like Don to kind of get you up to speed on how all this was supposed to work was pretty important. I and mean, it's fortunately Washington, central part of Washington state, learning how to grow grass there was a lot less difficult than it is out here because we don't have humidity out there. So a lot of the things that make it very tough to do the job in this mid-Atlantic region uh, are caused really by humidity. I mean, humidity causes the diseases. It can, causes all the fungus problems. Mm. We get, a, you know, 40-plus inches of rainfall a, a year here annually in, in Philadelphia. We didn't have any of that to deal with. We didn't have a tarp in, in Yakima. I mean, mm. we rained out one game in three years that wow. I was the head guy there, wow. and that's because it was quarter dog night. And my GM Bob Romero didn't want to didn't want to lose the gate, so he's like, 
hey, you good if we bang this one tonight? Because nobody's going to show up anyway. I said, well, Bob, the field, we can have it ready. No, 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 don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> so, you know, he wanted the gate for the next night, so we just pushed quarter dog to the next night. So uh, There you go. You know, it's, it's kind of how things worked in the That's minors. That's how the minor leagues worked. Sure. Did you go from there to Indianapolis? No, I went from there to Durham, actually. I was in, oh, at the Durham, Durham Bulls for yeah, two years. Nice. The, the, the last year, Atlanta was the Carolina League affiliate. Mm-hmm. I was there, and then the first year, my second year in Durham, we were the first year affiliate of Tampa Bay's AAA team when they and, were getting ready to And was Durham part of that whole Bill Murray, um, Mike Vec, uh, Bill or Mike no. Vec? No, that no, was that's no, not, okay, that's before that. Yeah. We uh, we at the time were owned. In fact, they're still owned by uh, uh, the Goodman family, uh, who owns WRAL TV down their Capital Broadcasting Group. Um, they've Jim Goodman's owned that organization for quite a while now. And you know, I went back a couple of years ago, and they i mean, they have a new ballpark now. Yeah, I was at the new park. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. We were in there about, I think, in about the third year is when I took over in that new park, the Durham Athletic Park, when they moved over from the old DAP. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody always remembers the DAP yeah, from yeah. the movie. from the movie, yep. yep. Um, iconic, yes, the place you'd want to hang out all the time. No. Uh, no, <laughs> it, was, no. it was pretty rough. Yeah, it was really in an industrial area. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah but a, a lot of history Just an old, to that old place. park, you yeah. know, really yeah. kind of outdated. So and, you yeah. went from there to where? To... Well, I was there for two years and then went to, to Indianapolis, and I was at the AAA team in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Indians for almost five seasons. And then how so. did you get – did you find out that there was an opening at the ballparks, is Bank Park, when it was going to open, or how did that happen? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually been told that uh, that they were looking for somebody. I had a phone call from a friend of mine, um, and that kind of came about in a roundabout way through Scott Nickel, who who still works here at the, at the team. Scott knew uh, – the former head groundskeeper at the Orioles, um, and uh, he had he had called him because they were looking for somebody. And they, from what I was told at the time, they didn't even really know how to go about you know trying to find somebody. So um, Scott was asked, I believe, by John Stranix, and John you know was our project manager when they were building the ballpark. Uh, John called Paul Zwaska, who used to be at the Orioles, and uh, Paul knew me you know being in the industry and all. He called me up and he said, Hey. Uh, the Phillies are looking for somebody. I said, do you have anybody on your staff that you think might be interested mm. in the job? And I was like, well, you know, maybe. Let me think about it and all. And why don't you give me a call back in about a week? I'll see what I can come up with. And so yeah, Paul called me back, and I think I gave him a, a name or two. And yeah, I could kind of tell he was fishing for something. <laughs> yeah, I go, hey. And he goes, you know, hey, would you be interested in, in putting in? I said, well, you know, I'm, just, I'm not from the East Coast. and Philadelphia's probably not top of my list of places when I was in Had Indianapolis. Had you been to Philadelphia? No, never been out here. And it's just not really something we thought about, my wife and I. And and they said, well, would you be interested in talking to him? I said, ah, you know, it never hurts to talk to somebody. So um, he said, okay, well, I'll pass your name. And sure enough, Mike Stiles ended up calling me about a week and a half later. And I remember calling my wife, Carla, and I said, yeah, we're, we're probably going to Philadelphia, honey. She goes, well, I said, well, usually when they call you, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. And she's and like, it's oh, 2004. Okay. 2003. Three, right, yeah. right before the – About May uh, – about March of 2003 is when it all started. Yeah, so. were you uh, part of the planning? Like, you know, there's so much, uh, obviously, underneath this field that we're looking at mm-hmm. right now. All the irrigation, the, you know, the, the building of the, the turf and the, the sand, the dirt that's underneath. I mean, were you part of that process? Yeah, I was kind of on the tail end of it, but I did get in here, you know, fortunately um, soon enough to to have some ability to adjust some things, and we made some some tweaks to the the original design. Uh, we did redo the entire irrigation system. I had a, a, a lady that I'd worked with quite a bit in Indianapolis that I really trusted on the irrigation side of things. Um, we came through, and she redesigned the irrigation system more to what I was looking for, and uh, we we did some things. Originally, the warning track here was going to be level with no slope to it and didn't really like that idea and so we ended up sloping it towards the the field wall uh, so we could get the moisture you know during rainfall events uh, away from the plain surface as fast as possible um, we got to pick the infield mix and you know mound clays and all those kind of things so the stuff that you deal with on a daily basis yeah we we got to go through and which must so have been super exciting so i you. know you're biased but how does our field drainage wise compared to other fields uh we probably have one of the better draining fields in major league baseball and i i, I don't base that upon my own my own thing i hear that from a lot of our ball players um it this field takes an amazing amount of water, and we added actually what's called a sub-air system to our field uh, th- going on three years ago, I believe now, which is basically a gigantic fan unit that's got a 100-horsepower motor that's hooked up to our drainage. 
that it, it's a pretty neat unit. It actually gives us the ability to not only we can blow air into our drainage system, so when it gets hot out here in the summer and we start having a lot of gas buildup from, from the microbes in the soil, you get into a whole lot of deep-in-the-weed stuff here. But in essence, <laughs> whenever, whenever you get into the summer months, there's little things, microscopic microbes in the soil that actually break down the nitrogen in the soil. That's what allows when we put a fertilizer out there, most of the time that fertilizer is not in a form that can be readily used by a plant. It has to go through a breakdown process, and the microbes in the soil are actually what convert that nitrogen to a usable form. Well, as they do that, for lack of a better way of putting it, they create gas. Mm. And as it gets warmer out, the, the faster that process occurs, the more gas that those microbes produce. And what can happen is they start producing so much gas that it'll the gas will push the oxygen out of the root zone. And, you know... Plant roots are no different than you or I. I mean, they require oxygen to, to live. And if you push enough gas onto them, it's it's like the same idea as walking into your garage and closing the door and turning your car on. Right. I mean, pretty soon that carbon dioxide builds mm. up, you know, for us, and we're not going to end up real healthy if that's the case. Mm. Same deal happens with a plant, you know, especially a, a, a turf grass plant. As those microbes produce that gas, it, it starts forcing the oxygen out, and the oxygen in the soil is replaced by the by the the bad gases and if you don't do something to to move that around your plant starts suffering your this roots start way dying. too intellectual for this show. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, you lost me this at, is, at plants no, no, but this is what i know so i brought a copy fellas i lost brage already yeah, i realized that you lost you know? me when you said yeah. your first polysyllabic word this is yeah. it's hard to find this book i actually co-authored a book called moving on up with my good buddy robert gordon bob mm -hmm. gordon uh when we moved into this place and it's it tells a lot of stories about uh just how the philadelphia franchise in 135 years we've moved on up different areas of the franchise but certainly from a ballpark standpoint, and we compared and contrasted uh, some of the old ballparks in Philadelphia, Recreation Park, Baker Bowls, uh, Connie mm -hmm. Mack Stadium, the Vet, and now beautiful Sisson Bank Park. But we, we dug up some great stuff. And at the Baker Bowl, did you know, Mike, I mean, you got all this fancy equipment now, but uh, the groundskeepers used to pour gasoline on puddles to burn <laughs> off water. Do you guys ever uh, use that uh, no, no, here? I, I, I haven't Bank done Park. that since high school. Um, <laughs> but you it, did do it you in did high school. Do it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, see that was a technique. My, my old high school baseball coach, Mike Archer, he's still he's still coaching. Um, coaches the American Legion team up in Sela, Washington. Years ago, I <laughs> never forget this. He had a he had a doubleheader schedule for the weekend, and you know American Legion ball, especially out west, those guys travel a lot. I mean, they'll go they play a lot of teams from over in the Seattle area where it's two and a half, three hour drive to get over there. So they don't want to lose a game. Again, it doesn't rain a lot in the Yakima Valley, but when it does, you know, it can come down pretty good. So Arch was just adamant about never losing ball games. So yeah, he'd, he'd go out and he'd, you know, if he needed to, he'd scratch it up and pour yeah. some diesel on it and light her and up. And light her up. It does it work? And oh, doesn't you, it totally destroy the grass? Well, you, <laughs> got, you got to keep away from the grass. Yeah, okay, you know, time you want to say, dirt. Yeah, you do it on the dirt. And okay, so Arch, that makes sense. <laughs> Arch did it. Next thing you know, you hear, you know, Sela, Washington, where they play, and they play in, you know, a, a park there in town. He hears the fire alarm going off. And the next thing you know, the Sela Fire Department's rolling right up to the field, and they're walking out there going, Arch, what are you doing? Because everybody knows him in yeah, town. Right. And he's like, oh, I'm drying the field. He goes, you didn't think to bother calling us? And he goes, no, I actually want to see how fast you could get here. <laughs> did you ever use? It works. Did you ever use farm animals <laughs> yes. in any of your? Uh, well, lawn that's what I was going to say, John. At Baker Bowl, at Baker Bowl, the Phillies used to keep a ram and sheep mm -hmm. uh, on uh, the premises, and that's how they would keep the grass from getting too long. Have you ever used this? Farm I, I, I've not used farm animals to to <laughs> graze our field. Um, how, about if, how about front office employees? <laughs> <laughs> If there was one that was the most likely individual to be used, yeah. it would probably be you, Brian. Yeah. So. And Tuck McGraw did say, when he was asked the question, what do you like better, turf or grass? He said, I don't know. I've never smoked turf. Right? That was the great Tug McGraw. What That's was, what was the other one? If, if you know, One of the other guys, uh, I know it's kind of a famous quote, and it escapes me who said it now, but if, if, if cows won't eat it, I don't want to play on it. Right, Might right. Might have been Ernie Banks, maybe. The, yeah, or Dick, uh, Dick Allen, maybe. Dick Allen, or, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, I know, you know, talking about the Cubs for a minute, you, you go back and you look at it's Scott Nickel. I mentioned him earlier, yeah, yeah. talking about farm animals. When he worked for Chicago at the Cubs at Wrigley Field, old Wrigley Field, um, his first office, from what he tells me, was in a little house-like building that's attached to the side of the ballpark down the left field line. That house used to be the groundskeeper's home 
back in the day, and he said when his office was in there, you'd walk downstairs, and he said the horse stalls were still there. Yeah. Where, yeah, they, yeah. where they'd store the horses that they'd use or the donkeys or whatever it was that they'd use to pull them over. There motors. were people in a Connie Mack Stadium when they built Connie Mack Stadium. They had 200 uh, spots for just uh, horse-drawn carriages because that's how people mm-hmm. were still getting around. How about that? Yeah. Wow. See, now we're learning something, Johnny. Yeah. Where, Mrs. O'Leary's <laughs> cow, where was she in that? You know, we've, we've gone from the cows grazing the outfield to, you know, like I was telling you, our sub-air system. We now have that fan on there. We can kick that thing on. That's awesome. Blow all that bad gas out of the field every well, couple hours. Or, or when it rains, we can reverse it and put it on suction now. Uh, It'll actually help us pull that rain out of that field faster wow. than it would without it. So it's, cool it's amazing the way the technology, technology. changed. I can what? turn that thing on with my cell phone, Brage. And I can tell That's you what, crazy. too. In 1994, I started with the Phillies, right? So obviously from 94 to 2000, through 2003. It shows. It was too, the by vet. The way. Yeah, so I started when I was ten. <laughs> started when I was ten, so I'm not that old. Um, but I remember the ground crew, right? Which some of the guys were still on the ground crew from way back when. In fact, Rob yep. has been there for 44 years. Rob started right? here, and I think he told me 71. Right. Yeah. He's been on the crew longer than I've been alive. Well, I remember. You know? <laughs> I remember at the vet, my fond memories of the vet, uh, where you go into the ground crew room to to get one of these guys as a favor for I don't know doing whatever you do, and you go in there, and five guys be watching F Troop or, or Mikhail's <laughs> Navy, and, you know, because you had AstroTurf. Now you guys actually have to kind of work all year round because you have actually real grass and stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. there's not a whole lot of watching F Troop going on these days. <laughs> I'm sitting here, it's what, uh, middle of the afternoon, my guys are down watering the watering the warning track and trying to keep things moving along here, and it's, you know, like almost 100 outside the Yeah, at the vet, it was just a Zamboni and a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah. That's all you and need. And Petticoat Junction. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's all you need for that equipment. All right, well, listen, let's take a quick break, Mike, and uh, we're going to come back right after this. Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Franks Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new right in The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info... And we're back, Phillies backstage with director of field. Uh, what is it? You're the you're operations. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, there it is. You you're know what? The, too, I want to get back to what the was your what was your guy. major? Administrative office management. And what's your job? Uh, he cuts grass. Yeah, right. I cut grass. What's yeah. your major? I was a marketing major. And what's your job? I'm the friend of the fanatic. You know what my major was? Yeah, you're a religious, religious studies, studies major, and I'm the director of fun and games. So right now we got three people that have no, no bearing on what they what they learned in college. Hopefully the kids aren't listening out yes. there. You know, <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, how many times have we asked? You know, asked. Uh, the best Tom, friend of the fanatic? How, yeah, the best friend of the fanatic over here. What his mom and dad thought about that Drexel education <laughs> they paid for? It's, it's working out well for him. Seven years of college down the drain. <laughs> you know, and what? all along you could have been the Drexel Dragon. Who'd have known? Exactly. <laughs> Who'd have known? <laughs> it could have been a, the grimace at McDonald's. Or yeah. I always tell people the uh, that Statue of Liberty for H and R Block that stands out on the corner around tax time. You know, trying to flag people into the, their uh, business. And I learned today that the noxious gas is out in the outfield aren't yeah. exactly the fanatic. I yeah. thought it was a fanatic this whole time. It wasn't plant life. You have a point on that one, Brady. <laughs> nice one, Johnny Law. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, hey, uh, we had Mike Demusio on a few weeks ago, uh, Mike, and, uh, you know, we got into the idea of weather. And, um, you know, I guess a lot of that falls on you, right? You're, you're the one keeping track, track of the radar. Everybody comes to you when there's a threat of rain. Hey, Mike, are we playing tonight? Uh, do you get sick of that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you don't really get sick of it. It's, uh, it's just kind of part of the job, you know. I mean, mm. it, it's amazing how weather really does dictate almost everything we do uh, on a daily basis, even when the team's not here. So, can you walk us walk the listeners through exactly what happens? Let's say there's a threat of rain today. Mm-hmm. What you have in your office, how you're interacting with the front office, the umpires. Walk yeah. everyone through kind of the process. It, it kind of depends on the type of system you're dealing with. I mean, there's some days are more challenging than others. I mean, we've just finished kind of a period of time here the last couple of homestands where we've gotten into a lot of these these deals where you get a front type system that gets kind of stalled over the area where you just get these pop-up thunders they're the worst i mean when you've got days where they just show up you literally don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes and they're they're those are the toughest because you're the only way to deal with is just sit there and stare at the radar and and look outside 
And you um, have the radar system in your yeah. office. And your office, by the way, is we're looking at it right now. It's in right field. You've got a little window yep. that overlooks. So you've got a close-up view of the left or the right fielder mm-hmm. every day. Yep. But you also have that uh, the machine in the dirt room there behind home yeah. plate. We, we How is that different from what you're looking at down the right field line? Same exact computer system. Oh, it is. Okay. Uh, so we've got one there. And obviously now with, you know, technology's improved over the years. It, Cell phones. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, everybody's got a radar. I always. It's funny whenever we discuss, you know, talking about how you manage weather and everything. Uh, we'll go to our meetings during the winter and meet with Major League Baseball's representatives. They usually send some guys to our meetings and all, and we'll get into a discussion about how you know dealing with the umpires, everything goes on. And I always, I always kind of remind everybody so that you know, in the modern world, the guy during a ball game that's the least informed in terms of updated to the minute information is the crew chief. Because he's the only guy that doesn't have a cellular device that he's staring at. Mm. You know, literally, that's what's changed in the last 10 to 15. Mm. Is that when when I first started here, or even when I first started in minor league baseball, you know, nobody else had a radar but you. And it's it's it was always kind of the running joke. Like when I was in Indianapolis, our GM there would always be, "Well, there's a there's a a window at the airport," and you hear us talking about this kind of internally around here. It's kind of the running joke in the company. There's an, a window at the airport, and it's, well. Wish we were at the airport. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> it's raining here. But now what's kind of changed with all that is everybody's got a radar. So, you know, yeah. you, you can't I – mean, everybody's got it. The only guy that doesn't is the guy that's ultimately in charge of making the decisions. Who's your crew chief? <laughs> right. Standing right. out at second base. So. And so you're always in communication yeah. with that guy, right? That, yeah, because if it's a threat of rain, you're coming out in between innings, mm-hmm. right? And you're going out to the crew chief. Yep. On the, we, we see you come out on the field, and you're saying, hey, look, it looks like it's, we're going to get a pop-up in about 10 minutes, you know, blah, 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 right? Yep, and then you got to get your guys ready too to mm-hmm. roll out the tarp. That that's yeah, that's main my main job during a game when we're dealing with weather situations. Keep the crew chief informed, let them know what's going on, let them know before the game starts, kind of where we're at on you know the infield wise. And that's uh, that's the other thing that's changed over time is, you know, when I first got into this business, we'd water our infield down to kind of keep the dust down. But what's really what's really switched in in Major League Baseball and professional baseball from say 15, 20 years ago to now is that. We really keep these infields wet intentionally going into a ball game because the more moisture you have in that infield clay, the, the more of a tendency the ball has to stay down on you. It, it doesn't give you those high hops, and the ball players really like that, some more than others. I mean, you go back to when David Bell was playing third base for us. You know, I used to call him the swamp creature because, I mean, you could not make it wet enough. I hmm. swear if there was standing water on the third base area when the game started, <laughs> David would still want you to add How more. about that? Um, so infielders over the last couple of years, I mean, everybody's kind of used to having these infields really super saturated. They want them that way because it, it, it does make it easier to take a ground ball. The disadvantage to that is when you get into a rain situation, you no longer have much of a window in terms of how much moisture you can take before if you get enough coming down quickly enough, you can lose that surface fairly fast. Fortunately, the infield mixes we're using now have kind of adjusted to that reality. They're able to take a lot more moisture than they did, but we we keep them hydrated. I mean, I've got three moisture sensors buried in that infield skin right now, and I mean, I can look at them on my cell phone. I look at them on the computer in my office. We generally try to keep them somewhere between 35 to 40 percent, 42 percent volumetric water content all the time at the two-inch level, Hmm. and that's where they're buried. It's two inches into the skin. We know if we're going into a game and I'm somewhere 36, 37 percent, it's going to play about the way I want it to. Did we have those sensors around in 2008 uh, when we had Game Five of the World Series? We did not. Uh, That's Mm. a that's a fairly new thing we've started using. but we did have pretty much the same infield mix back then. We're one of the first teams in Major League Baseball. We were the first team in Major League Baseball uh-huh. to use to this, use that. this mm-hmm. dura-edge surface that's out here. It's, it comes from western Pennsylvania, outside of Slippery Rock. Um, we were really the first team in the MLB to put it in. And I tell you, guys, it, it takes two to three times as much water as any other product that's been out there on the market. Awesome. All right, so game it, five. Let's amazing. go back to the game five. Game mm-hmm. five, obviously, the weather issue going on. Tell me your role right there because I know that the, the commissioner – we had everybody involved. The commissioner, right? the fanatic, the fanatic, and the Mike. The fanatic and Mike. <laughs> all, all looking at a radar uh, in the fifth inning of Game Five, and just with the eyeballs, you didn't need any sensors to look out and see that there was a swimming pool between third base and uh, second base. Yeah. There, there's a brain trust for you. We have the, the commissioner of baseball, <laughs> Commissioner Selig, a very distinguished man wearing his suit. You have me standing there, and you got a guy walking around in a green piece of carpet. Yeah, it, it's great. That's 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 who who was dealing with this. He's friends. He's friends with the carpet. Friends 
friends with the carpet. Yes. Yeah, it's nice. So, <laughs> so, what do you remember from that night, though, Mike? It, you know, when you get into the playoffs, it's a completely different program. You're no longer really dealing with mm. the crew chief. You're dealing with the commissioner. Right. When you get at least to the series. And Commissioner Sell, a great guy. Uh, he and I got along really well. Um, good thing, bad thing. You, when the commissioner knows you by your first name, it, it's probably not a good thing when you're a groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been spending way too much time talking to the man, but super good guy. I mean, Commissioner Selig was really good about everything. He would take what you were telling him. He would listen to it. Uh, he'd, he'd want your in opinion of what was going on, and he trust, trusted your judgment on it. And uh, We got into game five, and, you know, the forecast that night was telling us one thing. They thought we had the ability to play through a lighter rainfall up until around 10 or 10.30, and the system was kind of churning its way up the coastline, and it just it didn't pan out that way. I mean, we didn't get too far into that thing, and it picked up heavier than what they had anticipated. It was not only the weather service that we use, it was the weather service that Major League Baseball was using. We had about three different folks we were talking to at the time, and they were all on the same page, and they were all wrong. Um, but that's weather. I mean, it's, it, you know, if I could protect the weather, I tell people all the time, if I could predict the weather, if I could control the weather, I certainly wouldn't work here. I mean, I'm <laughs> exactly. sure there's somebody out there that would probably pay me a heck of a lot of money. Actually, you know? there's only one person in the Phillies that has a worse job than you around the wet, bad weather, and that's Kelly Adaria who works at front desk. Because yes. she gets calls nonstop. <laughs> is the game on? Is yep. the game on? How's it going to rain? When's it going to stop? <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. So, you know, the commissioner would ask us what's going on. We, we did the best, but it finally got to the point where yeah. we just knew – you know, this was this was not going to end well. Um, I took the opinion at that point in time, like I do with any game. Hey, my job is to get you get you a legal ball game in, and that's mm-hmm. in normal circumstances. It was five innings or four and a half if we're if we're leading. We got them there. Um, the commissioner, and I think looking back on it now, rightfully so, made yeah, the decision. Would, you can't you can't end no, a World Series no. on a you, you can't. But hey, a short that, game, that would yeah. that would just that would be the worst. Yeah, so but, you wouldn't even feel that was yeah. a real World Series. Right. But keep in mind, from my perspective, that decision hadn't been made at that point in time, and nobody had ever even really talked about it. So, you know, in my mind, hey, I got one job tonight, and that's to get us a legal ball game in and make make sure that we get a legal ball game in. We did that. Yeah, we got them there. We got them to their, the fifth inning, and <laughs> we did what we had to do to make it happen. So, but it just got to the point that it was pretty clear to everybody that uh, it was it was heading south. But the bigger problem was it wasn't necessarily the playing surface. I mean, we definitely had a good amount of water standing on the infield, but it was still stable. I mean, you could still hmm. you could still take a ground ball on it, and you could still steal second base. Um, the bigger issue was the guys couldn't see the ball on mm. anything that went up in the air because of the reflection from the lights yeah, hitting the so raindrops. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember Longoria over at third base. Mm. I came jogging off the field after telling the crew chief what was going on. I go, what are you thinking? He goes, he goes field's fine. He says, I just can't see anything. He goes, you, he goes, look up. And I remember standing next to him looking up and going, wow, you're right. And he mm. goes, man, you can't see anything out here. Mm. So, so you talked about, like, the dirt, but, like, the grass. Does the grass have to be within certain parameters as far as how, how close it's cut? Or is it like, is it different from every ballpark? Yeah, it, it's every ballpark does does what they want to do. And who dictates that? Is that the the players say we want to cut shorter or longer? Or? To, to a point. I mean, you kind of listen to what they have to say. You also have to go by what's best for the plant. I mean, we have Kentucky bluegrass here again. Um, you know, this particular variety of Kentucky bluegrass that we have does pretty well shorter. Uh when we first moved into Citizens Bank Park, we had some older varieties out here that, that didn't perform as well in the heat and humidity when they were cut shorter. So we used to mow this field, you know, over an inch high. Now we're, we're under an inch with it, and it does exceedingly well. When we had the Bermuda grass, you know, there were times we'd have that lawn all the way down to five-eighths of an inch. Um, so Do you cut it every day? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when the team's in town, mm-hmm. uh, in, until we get into really, really – sometimes by mid-August, you know, the, the poor field – even with the best maintenance practices you can come up with, the heat and the humidity just take a toll on it. And, you know, by third week of August, it's, it's waving the white flag. I mean, it just – you've got to treat it with kid gloves and, and do the minimal amount to that field to get it through the next two weeks until you start cooling off again. And how so. much do you hate concerts? Yeah, Because <laughs> I know, Mike, yeah. it's a lot of hard work uh, for you and your crew. And uh, I think, again, technology has come a long way in that they can kind of build these stages and – um, yeah, they and roll do what them they out do, there. They roll them out, and you know they put the flooring down, and the flooring is such that I guess sun can get to it and water can get to it. But uh, I mean, look how now we're looking out at this field. Now we had a, I know it's been now a couple weeks since we had uh, those two concerts, but it seems to rebound real nicely. 
Um, you know, we still got some damage when you get out there and walk on it, and we, we've been doing everything we can. Again, the, the, the problem you deal with in this part of the country is our night temperatures stay so high. Uh, and, and Kentucky bluegrass being a cool season grass is, is solely dependent on night temperatures in terms of its growth in a lot of respects. Mm. So if you're above 70 degrees, it's, it's no bueno. It doesn't want to move. Mm. You know, it just doesn't want to grow. You get below 70 at night, you start seeing more recovery. Last week, it was cooling off nicely into the 60s. We saw more growth last week uh, in, in three or four days than I'd seen on this field in almost over a month. Mm. Um, one of the problems with stadiums in general and the way they're built, and it's just a function of them being a ballpark, is when you look out here, we are, we are growing grass in the bottom of a gigantic concrete bowl. Uh, that concrete retains a lot of heat, even at night. You're in an urban environment to begin with, and then you wrap it with concrete. And that, that sun hits it all day long. It soaks it into there. It holds the heat. We don't see the cool down in here in the stadium environment that you'd see even if you went to a golf course down at FDR Park. I mean, it just holds that heat, so it makes it even more challenging. You throw on top of that a concert, you, you put a stage out there. Braze is right. The technology we're using to build these stages now is vastly superior than what it was mm. even 10 years ago. Uh, we use a particular unit called the G2 most of the time that can be pretty much hand-assembled. It requires very little crane work, so we're not having to bring a crane out onto the grass anymore like we used to. We can do it all from the warning track. They can put up a lot more rapidly. Hmm. Most of the components are, you know, put in place. The stage itself really does not cause a lot of damage to the playing surface. It's the load in and the load out of the production gear that gets you. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just a lot of bodies. It's a lot of uh, boxes on on wheels. You know, you ever seen a concert? It's, they're all in these crates, and every every crate has wheels. And even the lighting systems get put on a set of wheels so they can move it in and out. And that traffic on top of the floor that we have to put down on the field just really, really beats it up. Mm. So if you if you get into a lot of heat and humidity and we're doing it in the middle of July, you just know it's not going to come back for several weeks afterward. We can throw all the seed out there. We can put all the fertilizer we need to do and do everything right, but you're just kind of in a waiting game for the weather to drop back to a point where the, the plant actually wants to start recovering, and that generally doesn't occur until September. So. All right, I got two questions. One is... For the viewers or listeners out there, how do you, if you want to have a checkerboard uh, <laughs> grass, how do you make those perfect lines and make it look like a checkerboard out there? Because from this angle, we are right now. Your lawn on the radio doesn't booth. look like that, John. My lawn does not look like that. No. How do you? How do you do that? I get asked that question I, a lot. I, 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 I dispute that, by the way. I, I guarantee you, go over to Brazier's place. It's striped up. It's. <laughs> <laughs> how do you? How do you get the checkerboard? Striped up. <laughs> it, it, it's a function of the mower. Uh, you know, our mowers have rollers on the front and the back. That's actually how we set the cutting heights. And the roller just slightly pushes that grass blade over. And if you're if you're driving the mower away from home plate, it's going to look like a, a, a lighter colored stripe. If you're driving back towards home plate, it's going to be a darker colored stripe. So you mow one direction of the field one way, and then you go and you start the other direction, and that's how you create that checkerboard. There look. it is. All right, then the last question is for me is – the ivy in the back. Mm -hmm. So the ivy on the on the wall, um, is that is that basically that is it still growing? Will it be more growth? Do you guys uh, cut it back a little bit? And then also, are you uh, are you planting any hidden vegetables out there that we don't know about? Or uh, we'll stick with vegetables. <laughs> on top of the fence. We'll stick with vegetables. Phrase, <laughs> why are you always going there? <laughs> just stick with vegetables. Just turning turning our job into a bad movie scene. I mean, it's just come on, man. Come on. <laughs> what do you have out there? You got zucchinis out there? <laughs> the, 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 what are you gardening out there? The, the ivy is actually taken care of by our landscape department. That's Pam Hall's world. So uh, she she deals with the batter's eye and the and the, and the ivy. Um, yeah, it's it's. Ivy, believe it or not, is not the easiest thing in the world to grow in in, in a situation like we're dealing with here because that is, that's a southern-facing wall, and it's probably the worst orientation to try to grow English ivy on that there is, and I, I believe that's English ivy. Um, Wrigley has Boston ivy. Boston ivy actually turns brown during the winter and in the early spring. Ours doesn't because it's it's a different variety. It stays kind of an evergreen, but uh, it's it, it does as well as you can expect ivy to do in that, that sun exposure. So... Uh, as for vegetables, no, you know, we used to, yes, Brace, you're all right. We used to grow yeah, some, tomatoes, some, right? some tomatoes out here until Ryan Madsen and a few of the other guys that were on the team back in 08 and 09 thought it was a good idea to start throwing them at one another. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I finally just pulled the tomatoes. I'm like, seriously, guys? You know, come on. These are these are highly trained professional athletes, and they're out there throwing tomatoes at one another. You know, that doesn't make me feel as bad. You know, uh, it's talks talking about first impressions. I can't remember. You know, when I was with the fanatic in Indianapolis, if you were still out there, we're still trying to figure that out. That would have been kind of the early to mid '90s. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I but, doubt it. Yeah. But the first time that we met, do you remember the first we, time I'll we tell met? You one thing: we Indianapolis. I think we owned like a part of your nemesis. You know, or the fanatics nemesis, the chicken. Oh, the yeah, chicken yeah, yeah. showed up he twice a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was always out he there. He was constantly out there. So. But do you remember when we met uh, here at Citizen Bank Park? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, John, I don't know if I've ever told you this. So, uh, I, you know, the fanatic was a little nervous uh, going from the vet to Citizen Bank Park because he thought it's going to be natural grass. And are they going to let the fanatic use his ATV? You know, uh, because it's grass, and you have to be careful with it's grass. It's a valid concern. And knowing other ballparks and minor league ballparks, Fnatic has traveled all around the, uh, the country. He's dealt with a lot of uh, ground cre- ground keepers over the years. You know, you got to be careful with the grass. So, thankfully, uh, as it turns out, John, it, it wasn't an issue. But the whole time I was thinking, are they going to let the Fnatic have it? So, one night, I'm with my two neighbors, and we're out uh, on a deck, and we're uh, kind of just hanging out, having a couple adult uh, beverages. And I was telling them, you know, what, what am I going to do? You know, I, I should have a plan B. So they said, have you ever heard of a hoverboard? I'm like, a hoverboard? And I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, yeah, I'm like, what? Like, back to, back to uh, back the future? To the future yeah. You know, and like Michael J. Fox. No, no, hoverboards. You've never seen them? So we bring it up, and, and we're looking at these videos. It's a real thing. Hoverboards, these, these air, these, uh, like, boating crafts. They're like, uh, they're like inflatable boats that like a hovercraft hovercraft it it, yeah. it, it, it it it's above the water and it can go above land and it just floats on the air to me i'd never seen this before i'm like is this the jetsons what's going on so i'm like this is perfect i mean this could be the fanatics new thing instead of the atv he could every night come out pre-game on a hovercraft why, why have we Mike. not had this conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, once, so, once again the fanatic does not consult with lawyers right <laughs> so no but mike I, but do you so a Fran Dunn introduced you and me. We right down here, right uh-huh. next to home plate. And Mike, this is Tom. Tom, Mike, hey, Mike, how you doing? No sooner, I literally, was 10 seconds, we had just been introduced. And I said, Mike, I'm actually working on this idea. You know, instead of having, you know, the, the Fanatics four-wheeler out here, which could maybe damage the grass, he, he's thinking about having a hovercraft. <laughs> and you looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and you just said, well, uh, yeah, you know, those things are pretty powerful. And, you know, just think the, the, the air and the, the, yeah. the, the dirt being kicked up. And uh, I was completely serious. You know, I was I'm sure you investigating were. <laughs> this thing. I was calling companies. Well, that's because it's not you on there. It's the Fanatic. Well, right. You know, I was doing, well, this is what I do for the Fanatic, John. I, 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 I cook I for we, him. I do his laundry. Yeah. And I also investigate. Putting all you know. the risk on him. You know, I'm thinking we should probably revisit this. I mean, at this point in time, in 2018, this might make sense. The hovercraft. I mean, the hovercraft. We could get, you know, the quads getting a little old anyway. <laughs> Your back's starting to hurt part, a little bit. Parts yeah. are getting a little harder to come by. And, Although, you know, I'm not sure how we could pick up the hovercraft and carry it off the field when it runs out of gas, which I had it all figured out. Happened once or twice. I figured all I had it all figured out. Paul Blatt or Mall Rat, whatever that's the guy's name. Paul Blart. Paul Paul Blart. Oh, he had a Segway. Segway? Is that what you're going to be doing next? (laughs) (laughs) Got to mix it up. Hey, speaking of. You want a funny Segway story here, real quick? So. We have to turn in receipts for when we do concerts on reimbursements sometimes. You know, it's because there's a whole cost sharing formula we follow on these things. And so we use a, a fungicide product now that's going to just come out in the last year. It's called Segway. And uh, when we had uh, had some of our concert stuff going on earlier, we had turned in a receipt for some Segway fungicide we purchased to use, you know, to make sure we didn't get anything growing out on the field we didn't want underneath the floor and it got kicked over to one of our partners we deal with during concerts and they send a nice note back to our accounting department that no we will not pay for segways a segway for the grounds crew. Uh, <laughs> good try man we, we actually had to take a picture of the label of the bottle <laughs> right. and send it back over and say this is not something we ride around on guys like, oh sorry we they, thought that's what you're talking about <laughs> all right well listen that uh, 
Mike, now it's it's that time of Philly's uh, backstage where John Brazier has prepared. A convoluted. A, a convoluted. Hopefully he gets it right this time. A quiz customized just for you because he knows your likes and your dis- dislikes. <laughs> John, why don't you fill Mike in on what uh, the Philly challenge is yeah, going to so be today? Yeah, so again, I always try to find uh, the interests of, the, of our guests. So I have eight questions. Mm-hmm. And we always say if you get six out of eight, which would be two-thirds, uh, you win. Tom, what does he win? I think he wins uh, the uh, Fante's uh, heating, uh, cooling, and air uh, backpack cooler. Or backpack, but not cooler. Backpack. Yes. Given to all kids 14 and under. Perfect. It's yeah. a great prize, Mike. It is. All right. Another giveaway item, huh? Another giveaway yeah, item. John, you John spares no expense. I, no I expense. Tell. I might even throw some chocolate in there, too, for you. <laughs> all right. Thank all right, you. here we go. Thank you, Willy Wonka. We'll, we'll start you off easy, okay? Mm-hmm. Eight questions. Here you go. We're mm-hmm. going to start the first two you should get with no problem. Uh, who is the head groundskeeper at Bushwood? Is it A, Phil McCracken, B, groundskeeper Willie, C, Sandy McFittish, or D, Liam McDuffie? Sandy. Sandy McFittish. You are one for hey, one. Bushwood. What's that in Caddyshack? There is no, there is no gambling at Bushwood, sir. Bushwood. So, wh- I thought it was Carl Spagler. He's no, the assistant, he's assistant groundskeeper. Oh. He wants to become the, that, the Sandy's the Sandy, one said, of course. There's no That's gopher. Tough. Kill all the all gophers. Know your Caddyshack trivia, Tom. You threw a little, uh, that, that was a little bit of a curveball there. Curveball. All right. What is, you'll get this one easy. What's mm-hmm. the type of grass at Bushwood? Okay, well, don't answer yet. Oh. A, perennial ryegrass and Lebanese lightning. B, Bermuda grass and Afghanistan gold. C, St. Augustine grass and Moroccan mumbo wombo. Or D, Kentucky bluegrass, featherbed bent, and Northern California sensimilia. The last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually not correct, but I know what you're going for. So, yeah, no, we're good. <laughs> That was was from my crack research department that helped me with that one. Yeah, it was. Um, Which celebrity did not, did not go to Washington State? Because even though you did not go to Washington State, you are a huge Washington State fan. The wife is is a Washington State cougar. Yeah, so which of these celebrities did not go to Washington State? Okay. Gary Larson from the far side. Bruce Lee, actor, martial arts uh, artist. Uh, Edward Murrow, who's the father of uh, TV news broadcasting. Or Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft. So you have Gary Larson, Bruce Lee, Edward Morrow, Paul Allen. All three of them went to Washington State. One went to University of Washington. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee went to University of Washington. You are correct. Thank you. Thank you. Three for nice, three. Michael. Thank you. Staying on that same theme, which athlete did not play at Washington State? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Drew Bledsoe, Clay Thompson, Detlef Shrimp, Ron Say. And again, <laughs> one went to wa- University of Washington. Three went to Washington State. One went to Washington. Run them again. Drew Bledsoe, Clay Thompson, Detlef Shrimp. I just wanted to say that. I got Detlef Ron Say. Tom, you can you can help Ooh. me if you want. Detlef Shrimp. Detlef Shrimp is correct. Boy, oh boy. Yes. Uh, the Penguin was a coup. Yeah, so, right. so yes. I'm, uh-huh. I'm guessing that you're not a University of Washington fan, right? <clears throat> so you'd be happy to know that Ted. Look, this is a family show. We yes. we, we can't talk. We're not going to talk about yeah, Ted Bundy. We're not Bundy talking or, about the UW or no. Kenny G yeah, or Patrick Ted Duffy. Bundy, Ted Bundy was a was yes, a Husky. Yeah. yeah. All right, not number five. You are four for four right now. You're 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 on a roll. Have we ever had anybody go undefeated, Tom? Um. Well, I don't think we have. I don't know. All right, number five. When was I try f- to forget this as, as <laughs> soon as it's over. <laughs> sure, I will too, Tom. <laughs> when was the first postponement at Citizens Bank Park Ooh. due to rain? Okay, wow. was it April? They're all 2004, obviously. So was it April 14th versus the Reds, May 4th versus the Padres, April 27th versus the Mets, or April 4th versus the Braves? Again, April 14th. First the Reds, May 4th versus the Padres, April 27th versus the Mets, April 4th versus the Braves. May 4th? April 14th versus Ah, the Reds. That's all right. right. That's a tough one. Okay. Three more. All right. You'll get this one. When creating the playing field at Citizens Bank Park, how many tons of soil was excavated and how many feet below street level? Was it 450,000 tons and 38 feet below? Was it 594,000 tons and 23 feet below? 745,000 tons and 23 feet below, or 809,000 tons and 35 feet below. What were the two 23-feeters? Yeah, 594 and 745. 
Throw you, a dart. you are you are right because it's your fifty fifty. Definitely twenty three yeah. feet. Yeah. Which one are you going to go? Five hundred ninety four thousand or seven hundred forty five thousand? Five hundred. You are correct. There it is. Look at that. There's a win. Mm-hmm. Two right. more. We got two needs, more, and he only needs one. All right. We also know that you are a uh, big uh, beer fan, a hops fan, <laughs> right? Since you uh, you cultivate grass, right? You also can cultivate hops, I imagine. Right, so yeah, my, f- my father-in-law used to be a hop buyer. So yeah, all right. Well, then know you a might, few things he, about hops. And he hangs around Eddie Downs a lot. You so might he's. know this: the first known hopped beers appeared in the year 1000 in northern what? Is it northern Belgium, northern Poland, northern Aust- Austria, northern Germany? Germany. Germany is correct. Oh, so wow. you are on a roll right here. And the last one. Another one, you're you're a hunter. You're like Carson Wentz, right? Sure. You know sure. you're you know you're hunting, mm-hmm. and you probably know your ducks. So let's see if your ducks are in order on this last question, okay? Mm-hmm. Which? <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> really? <laughs> Daffy. <laughs> Donald. Daisy. <laughs> which which duck has a green head with a white ring around the neck, often called a green head? Is it a scalp? A ring neck, a mallard, or a greenhead? A mallard. A mallard yeah, is correct. He I went even knew seven that. I can't for believe eight. It. Seven for eight. What's he win, John? I told you, one of Fonte's uh, heating, air, and cooler uh, backpack. Didn't they used to All at least like? Under. Didn't didn't they used to give out like watches and things on these shows? You know, when you when you <laughs> no, be the guest. Not on this show. No, not on this not, show. Not this one. You can you can have uh, <laughs> something I'll steal out of Scott Brandon's merchandise closet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what you're gonna get. That's you know, at one is. point in time, you could probably find a World Series ring laying in the bathroom that you could have. That, that the special guest that would have been John Brazier. You could have had that if you had found it, by the way. <laughs> it says Brazier on and the side. And by the way, speaking great. of that, every time, every time someone loses a ring in any sport, Super Bowl ring, World Series ring, NBA ring, we call that doing a Brazier. Yeah, well, pulling a Brazier. Eventually, my name's come back into the into the news circulation. So I think on my epitaph, it's going to be director of fun and games and loser of a World Series ring. <laughs> great. That, that's what it's going to say. Better you than either one and, of us. And left tickets and left tickets to some idiots in Colorado. That those would be my three things I'm known for. <laughs> you should be so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud. Mike, He's th- your partner, Tom. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Mike. It was a lot of fun. You know, John and I get to do this show every week looking at the uh, fruits of your labor, and uh, we really appreciate all the hard work you put in. And, uh, of course, the Fanatic's usually out there trying to screw it all up, but, uh, you know, it's a good thing uh, you love the Fanatic. Thank goodness. great way to end it right there there it is all right that's it rob brooks thanks a lot mike thanks again johnny we'll see you next week and in the meantime we'll see you at the ballpark thanks guys